Welcome to ETF Working Lunch, an ETF.com podcast in partnership with Women in ETFs. We get together every other week and talk shop with some of the smartest women in this business. I'm Cynthia Murphy, here with my colleague, Lara Krigger. Hello. And today we are diving into the world of communications and ETF public relations. Joining us is Alex Levis, president of Aero Financial Communications. Welcome, Alex. Thank you so much for having me. So, Alex, we know that messaging, getting the word out is super important in any business, including ETFs. Tell us a little bit about yourself. I know you've come from a different world of diplomacy, political science, global acts, uh, and you started Aero Financial Communications. Tell us a little bit about your trajectory and your firm. Yeah, absolutely. So I think I had a bit of an unconventional trajectory. Um, I graduated college in the in the middle of a financial crisis. So, um, you know, there wasn't there wasn't a lot of there weren't as many jobs and opportunities as as some other graduating classes. So I think people in my my age, my generation, you know, had, had to be kind of a little bit nimble with with what was available. So that basically took me from, um, I studied international relations, I wanted to be a diplomat, and you know there were, obviously there weren't that many jobs, and everyone I was speaking to, the World Bank, um, the UN said, if you want an internship here, you have to go get a master's and come back. And I thought, okay, I, I need to start making money, I, I need to start working, um, let me pivot. And I had taken a class in college that just one day talked about something related to international marketing. I found it really, really fascinating. So I moved to New York um, with no job, with, with no plan. Wow. And um, I had an apartment. I had a, I had a cousin who, who, whose roommate left. And I was like, okay, well, that's one box checked. So I moved to the city. I knocked on a lot of doors. I started working in um, marketing and advertising, not, not for financial services companies, more uh, consumer packaged goods companies, retail-focused companies. And um, through, a, through a random series of, of, of job interviews and, and, and a, a friend who had taken a position at a financial PR firm, but then the, the day after she started, got her dream job. And so she immediately had to find a replacement. So she very kindly offered my name up. Um, I had very little, if any, kind of marketing PR experience. But so next thing I know, I find myself working at a financial PR firm. It was uh, Dukas Public Relations in New York City. Mm-hmm. And that's really where I cut my teeth in in financial communications. So um, working with hedge funds, mutual funds, ETF issuers, uh, separately managed accounts, and really just, I, I basically got in a finance education by sitting in on all the phone interviews um, with with the fund managers and the reporters. And it was really fascinating. And it it, it obviously it wasn't international relations or diplomacy, but there was so much overlap. I mean, you know, talking to really smart people, paying attention to what's happening both locally and globally, paying attention to what's happening in the news. How is that impacting how fund managers are allocating to portfolios? You know, I saw a lot of overlap there. So I basically, you know, kind of tripped and fell and, and ended up doing this. It was certainly not something that I ever thought I was going to do, but I was very fortunate to, to find that position. So worked there for a bit, and then I and then I moved over to Global X, um, which at the time I was I w- was a very small company. They're obviously much much bigger now. Um, I think I was like the fifth employee, right. and um, and that was awesome. I mean, I, I think it was such a sweet spot to work in the ETF industry when it had taken off, but not as fully. It was still kind of in in more of a little bit of a startup mode. Global X was a startup. 
And um, the, the people who ran it just were just so wonderful to work with because they really gave everybody at the, at the firm, um, is particularly in the early days, you know, just a lot of autonomy. And so really, really to explore everything there was to know about ETF marketing. So um, I was very fortunate to, to be in that position. And while I was there, so I was running marketing and PR at the same time. And, and that's really what taught me that, you know, at the end of the day, the ETF industry is a marketing industry. Uh, at the end of the day, it's all about branding and messaging and getting out there so that investors know that your product exists. Mm-hmm. So I, I would say it was a very, um, it was like a, you know, jump in, jump into the deep end headfirst education in, in ETFs and ETF marketing. And obviously it was, you know, able to leverage what I had learned at the PR firm, of course. Um, but this was a completely different dynamic area. And one of the things I really loved about it is, you know, going to the conferences and studying ETFs conference, Morningstar conference, getting to know all these issuers and, and really learning how entrepreneurial the entire industry was. Mm-hmm. So that was really interesting to me. Well, what I, what I love about your story um, is just how you can make an entire career and a successful career uh, by just almost accidentally. Um, I love that you don't always uh, need to have your plan defined from day one. And if you're open to opportunities, different things can really come your way. Um, I'm, as I stand here on my soapbox, cause I tell that to my kids all the time, you don't necessarily, you know, focus too much on the plan, be open to, to the opportunities that come. So that's really cool. What I also think is cool is just how it speaks to the entrepreneurial nature of the ETF industry, which is so exciting. Uh, it's been exciting for a long time and, and some of the, just the startup vibe of a lot of these opportunities, I think it's, is very cool. Um, so Tell us a little bit about how you navigate um, this notion. You know, when Laura and I were talking before the show, you know, she made this comment about the belief that if you build, they'll come. um, That is really prevailing a lot of the ETF space. How do you navigate that to to make these issuers, especially the newcomer issuers that have a much higher hurdle to jump, to get their name out there, to get recognition, to get a seat at the table, really? Uh, this this notion that messaging is really important and you have to actually go out there and market and and push it out. Yeah, because a lot of uh, you know a lot of issuers um, not even necessarily believe that there's value in pushing it out. Right, that there that's something that they should spend their time on. They figure that oh my strategy is so good it speaks for itself. Right, how do you how do you clear that hurdle? Yeah, no, I mean, listen, that's definitely, that's definitely something that we, that we come across all the time. I mean, I think, I think the industry has changed a lot in the last 10 years. And I, I've noticed the conversations have shifted from this is marketing. This is what you need to be doing. This is why it's important. And we've shifted more toward, okay, you, it looks like you have some of the basics in place. Let's talk about how to kick, you know, kind of take it to the next level. So I'm, I'm very glad to see that there's been kind of this adoption across the board that marketing is important and that marketing is absolutely necessary. I mean, you know, as I said earlier, the ETF industry is a marketing industry, right? There's like thousands of products, there's more launching by the day. And we know that marketing an ETF, and which goes hand in hand with selling an ETF, is one of the most important functions at any ETF issuer. You know, nobody's ever you know, let's start a company that no one knows, but we'll somehow invest in our products, you know, said no one ever. So clearly, <laughs> you know, clearly there's there's a need for, for publicity and, and visibility. Um, you know, I think what's really tough is, is that, as you guys know, um, a lot of people who, who work in the industry come from kind of like other legacy industries, right? Whether it's mutual funds or hedge funds, 
So I do think that part of the educational hurdle here is that there are some preconceived notions from from these holdover industries where marketing kind of took a backseat, you know, whether it was because, you know, this one fund was only available and gated and exclusive for certain high net worth individuals. And I and I what I try to what I try to educate our clients on and our prospective clients on is that anyone getting into this industry really needs to understand that by and large, you're serving three main groups, um, retail investors, financial intermediaries, and institutions. Mm -hmm. And so regardless of how your product looks under the hood, you know, your firm needs to be out there with a strong message. You need to have impact educational collateral that's engaging. You need to take a point of view on the market and, you know, really think about how are prospective investors going to find you. Um, you know, what we do know, there's so much that we don't know, right? But what we do know is that if people don't know about your product or that it exists or that your firm exists, they're not going to be able to invest in you. So um, it, it's still something that, that we, we find challenging. I mean, I, I do still have calls with prospective clients who, who don't see as much of a, a need for marketing. Um, but by and large, I would say that, that firms overall have really invested in their marketing departments. Um, when I started out, there were very few ETF marketing specialists. Now we're seeing a lot of the large, you know, the banks, the large asset managers, specifically hiring ETF marketing specialists, which to me really just illustrates, you know, how important this role is becoming. Um, so that's definitely very good to see. Yeah, maybe that's by design. I mean, uh, the ETF, which was the big innovation post mutual funds, came without 12B1 fees to begin with, right? So, so from the onset, um, marketing, the, the budget for marketing um, took a, a back seat um, in the product design. But um, is there like a, a set process, kind of like a checklist that applies to every new issuer when you're creating a messaging and marketing plan? Or does it vary dramatically from issuer to issuer, depending on, on size, depending on market niche or type of strategy? So I would say that, you know, obviously there's huge differences between issuers, but both in size and offering, active versus passive management. Um, but, you know, I think at the end of the day, regardless of, you know, what your product is or what product structure you have or what your fee is, there's definitely um, kind of a like a best practices checklist that we have that, that we walk our clients through. So, you know, I think for any ETF issuer, large or small, there are certain things that you absolutely need to have ready to go leading up to launch, then there's certain initiatives that you need to be doing on launch day. And then there's the post-launch, the six to 12 months post-launch initiatives. And we try to walk our clients, you know, through through what that timeline looks like. I think the most important thing or the, the biggest takeaway and, and the thing that I always try to stress to clients is you cannot launch your ETF on launch day, doesn't matter the exchange, without an ETF website, right? It's, it's a regulatory requirement, it's a compliance requirement, and the exchange literally will not let you launch until you have it. So I also try to explain to clients on, on calls that, you know, marketing isn't this like fluffy, you know, feel good thing. It's, it's an absolute necessity. And so, you know, starting with the website, which is a re regulatory requirement, and then building on that with, you know, fact sheets, investment cases, pitch decks, landing pages with an ad campaign, infographics, animated videos, you know, really thinking about yourself as a, as a firm, as a thought leader. And, you know, what are these different pieces of collateral that you can be building? It's important for a firm to have um, a whole inventory of collateral so that they can really get their, their viewpoints and their thought leadership out there. So we talk to clients about building content for their websites or whether they're going to be distributing their content out via social media or an email blast. 
but really thinking about different pieces and different touch points that, that speak to the different investors that they're trying to market their products to. So if your product is, is more suited to a retail investor, you might want to have a piece that's a little more digestible. If your products are more suited to you know, sophisticated FAs and RIAs and institutions, you want to have the sophisticated language that, that speaks to them. And what we really just try to educate our clients on is they need to be putting out educational collateral, maybe stuff that's not even so product focused, you know, stuff that, that more explains why somebody would be interested in an investment theme or, or a specific slice of the industry to begin with. Mm-hmm. And it all comes back to the idea that um, ETFs are uh, sold, not bought, right? Like you, you have to um, put some legwork into explaining the story behind your ETF and, and getting people to to buy it and and so on and so forth. So, you know, I'm curious, uh, since we're talking about marketing, we're talking about sales efforts too, they go hand in hand. Um the, the COVID pandemic has completely uh, changed the way that sales processes work in this industry and in many industries, of course, but especially in this one. You know, you can't uh, no longer can you go down to Wealthstack conference and and meet some protect, you know, prospective investors that way. You uh, you can't really do the roadshow thing anymore, or have in person meetings, and so on and so forth. So, in the absence of these sales, uh, these face to face sales opportunities. How have ETF marketing departments really had to change their game um, to generate the leads that you know they require and to build that credibility in the space and to really stand out um, from the Black Rocks and Vanguards of the world? Yeah. So, so as we know, you know, COVID has obviously accelerated this this work from home movement, which is something that at Arrow, our agency, you know, we've been anticipating this for a while. We're a remote agency, and so you know, since since sales teams can't physically be anywhere. It's really, really important now, more than ever, I would say, for marketing teams to take stock of their marketing strategies and try to be digitally everywhere. And, and so what does this really look like, right? So, you know, first of all, you want to make sure, I mean, this sounds really silly, but I can't tell you how many times we've run into this. First of all, it, it, you want to make sure that your collateral, which, you know, back in the day, you know, pre, pre the before times, you know, you print things out, you put them in a nice folder, you drop them off at a, at a client's office. Um, you want to make sure all your collateral is super mobile friendly. Um, it's obviously being sent to clients via email. We, we know that most people consume information on their phones. And again, it seems really silly to have to say this, but I can't tell you how many times, you know, we'll get an email from a client or, or a, like a draft email and it's like the image doesn't load properly or the text is, you know, kind of off kilter. And it's, it's so important to realize that when it comes to digital marketing in 2020, you are up against so much, right? You're not even, it's not even a question of you're competing against other ETF issuers. You're just competing for people's mind share and their time, you know, their home, they're dealing with their kids. There's a million things happening in the world. And so really thinking about like, how can you engage somebody who's super busy, super frazzled? Um, and, and we try to think about the fact that people consume information in different ways. So for the most part, it's on their phone. Not everybody wants to read something on their phone. Some people don't watch something on their phone. So, you know, kind of thinking about since our salespeople can't be in the same room or, or at, on a roadshow or, or at a conference talking to the clients, what kind of engaging stuff can we do, um, you know, over email? So it's little things like, you know, making sure that people can view an email properly on their phone so they don't swipe to the next thing and completely forget about it. Um, it's also thinking about, Engaging with people in a new way, um, you know, we we at Arrow we we've had a lot of success, or our clients have had a lot of su- success with the animated videos we've created for them. Mm-hmm. You know, it's like an animated investment case. It's it's a great way to um, engage with clients in kind of a fun way. 
And furthermore, I think, again, in the absence of all this in-person stuff, so much stuff is happening via phone call, via Zoom. And so really thinking about your marketing collateral as touch points, as follow-up touch points. Hey, it was really good chatting with you last month. We actually just wrapped up this really cool video that walks through the investment process. Would love for you to take a look and hop on a call and let me know your thoughts. So I think it's really thinking about the sales cycle, you know, typically takes a really long time. And if you're not going to meet these people in person, you got to give them little kind of tokens to, to remember you and, and to stay top of mind. So I think, again, that's always been really important. But I think in 2020, it's, it's even more important. And then I think another thing to keep in mind is that, you know, the marketing team has really had to step up in 2020 and thinking about marketing as a way to generate new leads. And so, you know, one of the ways that that we can do this and, and other people have done this as well is, you know, thinking about something like an offer. So like, Imagine you go on ETF.com, you see an ad, a, a prospective uh, investor sees an ad campaign um, for an ETF issuer. So they would click on the ad, it would take them to a landing page. And the idea for lead gen, of course, is that you want to capture people's emails, but people are so reticent to give up their email address now, right? Because I mean, I'm sure you guys, you know, in the middle of this podcast, you're going to go back to your inbox and have like 5,000 new emails. So it's really thinking about... <laughs> What, you know, it's all about an exchange of information. It's like we have, the ETF issuer has to give up a really, really good piece of content that would warrant somebody giving up their email address. And so, you know, lead generation campaigns with a content offer um, are, are a great way to, to do that. So the idea is prospective investor clicks on your ad. It takes them to a landing page. There's something useful and informative and not salesy on it. That's super, super important. And then you try to capture their email address with, um, you know, by, by offering up like a really, really good white paper or something that wouldn't easily be found on a different website or through a different publication or anything like that. And I think that's really the key is putting a lot of time and thought into something that, again, is not product pushy, is educational and is more of a value add than anything else. And, and I think those are some of the ways that marketing teams can really help their sales colleagues, you know, it's all about list, right? You know, building your contact database, building your list of people who, you know, have clicked on a blog or, you know, have, you know, responded well to a video and it, and, it, and it's helping the sales team almost create, go from cold leads to warm leads by putting together some really good content pieces. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So there's one element of this that we haven't touched on that uh, I know Cinch and I, we we end up talking about this all the time uh, with various uh, interviewees and issuers and so on. It's compliance, right? So issuers and financial professionals, I mean, so many of them have, uh, let's call it an uneasy relationship with their compliance de- departments, um, especially when it comes to issues of self-promotion, right? There are, are limits, uh, regulatory limits, of course, on what they can and cannot say, but um, you know, sometimes it, it goes well beyond that uh, from their compliance teams uh, and, and so forth. So how can issuers who are looking to market their products, especially new issuers who are trying to get the, to stand out, how can they do this without, I guess, living in fear that compliance is going to come back with a hammer and, and, you know, tell them no. Yeah, totally. I mean, I think, you know, compliance is, it's, it's almost this necessary evil. And, and I, I love the compliance teams we work with. Um, so if you're listening, I'm, I'm, <laughs> it's nothing bad, but it's this kind of necessary evil that we all need to work with. So, you know, our, my philosophy and our philosophy at the agency is, you know, if you can't beat them, join them. Mm-hmm. You know, I think the best way to tackle, um, the, the best way to tackle compliance and, and the fact that there's this kind of regulatory oversight 
is, um, is, is there's a couple of things that, that we do to, to kind of tackle that. So I think the first thing would be as, as a marketer, you got to make sure that everyone on your team, whether they're graphic designers or writers or coordinators, just has a really good baseline understanding of what compliance will and will not allow, right? So not asking everyone to, to, to become a compliance officer overnight, but there's like 10, there's five to 10 things that every marketer, every ETF marketer should know. And it could be, it's little things. It's like, you know, the fund seeks to instead of the fund will, you know, it's things like mm-hmm. not being able to compare ETFs, but you can compare the underlying indices. And I think that um, it, it's not a huge learning curve, but if, if, if marketers can kind of learn some of those little tips and tricks, um, it, it makes it a lot easier to, to submit an idea or to submit a content piece that doesn't immediately get shot down. Um, you know, at Arrow, we're super fortunate that everyone has ETF experience um, and, and understands compliance. And for instance, we have a we have a creative director. She knows all the rules. So she's not going to submit an idea for, for a client project that she knows compliance will shoot down. So that's that's one great way to save some time. And I think the other thing that we do is we really work, think of you know compliance as a partner. And so you have to really work them into your review process. I think that one of the biggest mistakes that that some some firms make is kind of thinking that compliance is an afterthought. So, you know, spending all this time, spending all this money, putting some really cool creative ideas together, and then just kind of running it by compliance super last minute, only to realize that they're going to scrap half of it, you have to start all over again, and, you know, it's due tomorrow. So <laughs> I think that, you know, if you're working on like a lengthy paper or a video or something like that, you know, split, split, split that work up into different phases. At Arrow, we have um, a very rigorous agency client compliance review process. And so if we're working on a video or a paper with somebody, you know, we would break that up. So, you know, the outline or the draft is something that compliance could take a look at before you spend all the time writing it. Mm-hmm. Then once you finish writing the first draft, they can take a look at that. And then before you're ready to design it, let's say it's a brochure or something like that, you know, make sure that they're okay with some of the images. You know, we know you can't have dollar signs, you can't have piggy banks, you can't have charts that show arrows going up, you know, um, even if they're just for illustrative purposes. So I think, again, just just working that into your review process, because there's I mean, there's really nothing worse than, you know, a whole creative team spending a ton of time and a ton of money and a ton of energy on something that would otherwise be super cool for another industry, but it's just not going to be allowed. Um, And then. And then just really going to get to know your compliance officer. Um, when I was at Global X, I spoke to the compliance officer on the phone probably every single day because this was before everything was done on like an online review portal. And I can't tell you how much of a difference just having a really friendly relationship, you know, with them as they, they understood our culture, they understood what we were trying to accomplish. We got a better understanding of their turnaround time. So there was never the surprise of like, what do you mean you can't turn it around in 15 minutes? So I think that, you know, just like everything, you know, have, having a personal relationship with a compliance officer where, where they can kind of understand your cadence of, you know, how are you going to be submitting things? What's the nature of what you're trying to do? Um, you know, what's your, what's your branding? What's kind of the message you're trying to get across? I think, I think just having a, you know, just picking up the phone and getting to know your compliance officer is, is definitely something I would encourage. Alex, before we we wrap up here, I actually wanted to flip the conversation a little bit onto you um, in the sense of, you know, as journalists, we sometimes deal with what we call internal PR, which are the PR firms within an issuer firm, and then the external PR, which are the independent uh, communications firms like Aero Financial. Um, it's a it's a competitive space. I mean, there's several uh, external PR firms. You know, Laura and I work with um, every day regularly. Um, how do you differentiate your value proposition out there? How difficult is it to 
to hustle new business, to stand out. Um, tell us a little bit about that side of, of this conversation. Yeah. So there's, um, so yes, you're right. There's, there's a ton of um, financial PR firms out there. I think where Arrow really stands out is that we, we do, we're a full service. So if you come to us, we'll do your fact sheets, we'll do your website, we'll walk you through a full marketing plan, a timeline of what you do before launch, during launch, after launch, um, media buying vendors, animation firms. You know, I think what I really learned at Global X is that it's all about being, you know, holistic and 365. And yes, you can certainly, you know, work with multiple vendors, but then you're on multiple calls. And, and oftentimes these vendors don't really necessarily have ETF or finance experience. So the impetus behind starting Arrow was really, you know, a one-stop shop that made it easy for a marketing team, whether they're a, a tiny boutique ETF issuer that has, you know, very little resources all the way to a large bank, um, but just really a one-stop shop. So I think where we're different in that sense is that we have a very full service offering for our clients where Again, I, I used to work at Global X. I used to be the in-house marketing and the in-house PR person, which is obviously very different than working at an agency, but that really gave me kind of a bird's eye view of an ETF life cycle, right? I would sit next to the portfolio management guys. I would sit next to the sales team. And I got a really, really deep dive in, in how to run an ETF business. So I think that's I think that's probably the the way that we stand out the most. I mean, other than that, of course, it's all about relationship building. You know, I've been in this industry about 10 years gotten to know the major, you know, the, the, the smaller and the major players. And I think that, you know, like everything, again, it's, it's all about relationships. You know, I've been, I've been working with, with um, ETF publications for a very long time. And I think that, you know, reputation obviously goes a long way. You know, we want to make sure that our clients are being really good sources, you know, for you guys and, and, and for your colleagues in the space. Um, you know, we want to make sure, of course, that our clients are are, are covered and and that their their message and their the fact that they've launched a product and all that stuff gets out there. And I think just really, you know, staying in touch with with the journalists and the reporters and the publishers on the ETF side is is paramount. I mean, look, it's it's a small industry, right? So we all need to work together. People people move around a lot, and I think that. Um, you know, I think kind of just being in the same industry and, and I really feel like I've, I feel like I've really grown up in the industry. So I think, you know, so those are sort of some of the ways that we've really um, ingratiated ourselves within the industry and try to be more of a full service partner um, to our clients. Well, this is all really fascinating stuff. Unfortunately, we've got to we got to call it there. Uh, thank you so much, Alex, for coming on the show. Um, really enjoyed the conversation today. Thank you so much for having me, ladies. This was awesome. I really enjoyed it. For more information on this topic or any ETF topic, or to catch up on past episodes, please visit us at etf.com. And for more information on how to get involved in the Women in ETFs organization, please visit womeninetfs.com. You can write to us with your questions, your comments, your thoughts at ETF Working Lunch. That's all one word at etf.com. On behalf of myself, Cynthia Murphy, and the rest of the etf.com team, thank you so much for listening. And we'll see you next episode.